This is Communications Officer Jim Minns. On the podcast this week... I, I think one of the difficulties about an in- industry like this or a sector like this is that so often there is a huge turnover in staff um, because staff become, become burnout and well-being and burnout are very much an afterthought of of planning these processes. We shine a light on the champions who serve the people of New South Wales in victim services. One of the perks of the PSA podcast is speaking to members and delegates whose job it is each and every day to save lives and look after the most vulnerable in our society. On the podcast this week, we speak to PSA delegate Nathan Rodriguez, whose work in service of the people of New South Wales saves lives. I'm Nathan Rodriguez and I'm the team leader uh, for the client service team at Victim Services. Fantastic, Nathan. What does that job entail? Um, so I manage the team that runs the Victims Access Line. Um, they provide information and support and referral to people who have been the victims of violent crime in New South Wales. Right, right. I can imagine it's um, a very testing uh, position, requires a lot of training. It does, it does. It requires uh, training. I think it also requires a lot of patience and a lot of understanding as well um, because we are dealing with people who are coming to us in their worst moments probably um, and also, um, you know, that has an effect on our staff as well. So managing the emotions and the capacity of staff is a big part of the job. Nathan, during the uh, current lockdown period of 2021, uh, were you and your colleagues uh, required to work from home? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. So we, we did work from home. Um, it was an interesting sort of thing. Um, I guess working in our department, um, we didn't really ever think about the possibility of working from home. Um, but on, I remember quite clearly on March 9th when the order was given, um, the very next day we, were, we had transitioned from apparently a trial of working from home procedures straight away to the real thing. So um, it pretty much happened over the course of a couple of nights. Um, it was a very, very quick transition. Did that have an effect on you and your colleagues, uh, the ability to get the job done or your mental health in dealing with the job in the, in the first place? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. It certainly did. Um, one of the principal concerns we had was that should we transit to work from home, um, we would miss the, I guess, the natural debrief that occurs when you're working with colleagues in an office and being able to talk to them and talk to your supervisors and team leaders about issues with clients or with processes and things like that. Um, so we had to put in a strategy um, in place and we were very fortunate that we were able to use Microsoft Teams uh, to create a channel where we could all um, continue that. And one of the initiatives that I uh, led from there was to um, uh, to bring about a daily debrief. So after, after um, our work is done for the day, after 5 p.m., uh, we spent about half an hour just together to chat about the day and talk about client issues. And we, we actually still do that now um, almost uh, 18 months later. Um, it's just, a, I guess, a space for connection for our team. But at the same time, there are other staff who really struggle with, um, you know, being being at home. And I'm sure that those that are parents of kids probably fall in that category mm. um, where, um, the you know, especially during home learning, having to supervise a child was, was a real challenge for the work that, that we did. So it's a bit of a mixed bag and it does depend on every person's circumstance. Mm. Um, but but we, we do know that, um, you know, we had a really, really strong performance-wise. It's a really, really strong thing to work from home, but that may not be in the best interest of people's flexibility and also their, 
their well-being when it comes to being isolated from colleagues. Dealing in, with victim services, I can imagine, is a very uh, can be a very stressful job, uh, particularly on uh, you uh, and your colleagues who receive the calls. Was the pandemic lockdown period a particularly, I don't want to say busy, but trying time for you in terms of the volumes of calls? Was there an increase at all? Well, I'm I'm actually glad that you're you're saying uh, you sort of made that distinction between busy and trying because um, we we really found a really strange effect that both in March last year and again in the Sydney lockdown um, at the start of June this year um, and as I as we call I have my year to date stats open right in front of me <laughs> uh, about this very thing but we we noticed a, a pandemic effect where our actual volume of calls dropped and. Um, it was a really interesting thing that um, despite a lot of media um, out there about the increase of domestic violence during pandemics and I guess mental health crises and things like that, a service like ours wasn't actually seeing an increase in engagement. Um, it's a bit of a puzzling question because we, we do, we have seen research from um, other places, for example, hospitals and all that have said that their ED presentations for domestic violence or mental health have, have increased, tripled or even quadrupled in this lockdown time. Mm. But um, for some reason, those people aren't getting the next stage of help, the sort of medium to help that a service like the services offers. I mean, we don't know why that's the case. Um, you know, we, we would hate to think that it was because it was inaccessible um, for many people, particularly women trying to leave a violent relationship, that it was impossible for them to access the government support. And we are the lead agency for helping people uh, you know, who are victims of crime. So um, I think that was a very concerning sort of thing because we were seeing this, we were geared up for a busy time. Sure. We, um, we geared, uh, but we, you know, it, it just really never eventuated. And in fact, now as restrictions ease, we are going back to our previous volume. So we're not entirely sure what it is about lockdowns, but perhaps there is, there is a real sense that people were trapped and couldn't ask for help. Oh, that's quite frightening, isn't it? It is. It is, certainly is. And um, I suppose what, one of the difficulties for us now is adapting to going to be the increased volumes um, within, you know, of, of, of work. Um, I, I think as well, just on that distinction between busy and trying, even though it wasn't busy, it was trying. Because what we did find often was that the people that did call us were probably in a more critical or, or more desperate situation in some in some instances. And that probably speaks to, I think, the hardships that many people uh, face during during lockdown and the lack of access to services. Absolutely. From an operational standpoint, what do you think you could benefit from uh, from the state government? What can be done better? Uh, is it training? Um, is is it is it access to better mental health capacity uh, for the the operators at victim services? What are you, what are you asking for if you're asking for anything? I think, at all? I, I, I think that many of my colleagues in the community sector would probably agree that. Um, one of the, the biggest areas that I guess we, we want assistance from employers is, is in our mental health and the protections for staff and the really investing in the training and support of staff. Um, I, I think one of the difficulties about an in, industry like this or a sector like this is that so often there is a huge turnover in staff um, because staff become, become burnout and um, well-being and burnout are very much an afterthought of of planning these processes. So often these kind of systems and agencies are designed with the idea of delivering a specific goal for government customers in mind 
We don't really think about the impact on staff. And, and that's just, I, I don't think that's something that would apply to victim services uniquely, but, um, you know, I guess we are very much at the forefront of, of that. Um, and I, I think the pandemic has really brought that home as well as, you know, referring to the sort of more trying calls and the, the circumstances that many clients find themselves in. Um, you know, it has a an effect on on the people that answer those calls. And uh, while victim services is equipped to deal with or train or staff victim services are more well trained in, in handling trauma, um, I guess one of the things that we understand is that many of our colleagues and other agencies such as housing um, or the legal services, um, they speak to the exact same clients we do. They deal with the exact same presentations that we do, but not in perhaps not in the same setting and perhaps not with the same level of understanding and support. Um, and so I, I think that that is probably one one area where the government can really invest in in its people um, to develop a more trauma informed practice for both its clients and its and its workers. Um, that on one hand is able to to understand and, and work with people who have survived trauma um, and I, on the other hand um, also to support the employees that work in that space um, with, with something substantial um, and, and a real understanding of, of how we need to support those people in that space. Well, Nathan, on behalf of the PSA, you and your colleagues do fantastic work and you're keeping the state running and uh, it's really inspiring to hear this on the podcast. So we salute you on the podcast and we thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Call the PSA CPSU New South Wales today on 1300 772 679. That's 1300 772 679. This is a weekly podcast and you can subscribe to the PSA CPSU podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jim Minns. Thanks again and you'll hear from us next week.